Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. You're listening to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs. That man on the other line is Ryan Buckley. It's Monday, October the 15th, 2.50 in the afternoon on the West Coast. We're doing it a little bit earlier. We both got stuff to do tonight. Ryan, I just landed in San Francisco about an hour ago. Uh, I've been up since about 3.15 in the morning West Coast time. I traveled back from Birmingham, Alabama today. Had a tremendous trip, tremendous weekend to Tuscaloosa and Talladega, which I will obviously get into on this very episode. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. You know, it was a it was a good weekend, and as I will get into, uh, a really strong weekend for my Oregon Ducks, and yes. um, a, a, a wild weekend in general in college that was a really fun one to yeah. follow, but uh, overall, a, a good weekend, a refreshing weekend. I, I know that you're the weary traveler, but it sounds like uh, you had a good one, too. Really a, a tremendous time. You know, one of the best trips I've had in a long time, and for a variety of reasons, but uh, I'll save that for down the line. Why don't you start us off? with your good of the week, which is your Oregon Ducks re-entering the national title picture. Yeah, and you know what? I won't go as far as, as saying that because I don't actually know that that's going to be true. I think that they're... Uh, they're in the picture. If you, if they, they're in the picture, but I, I don't... Even if they were to run the table, I think they would be on the outside looking in, probably. But Maybe. that being said, um, the, the bigger thing, that my good of the week is just... Uh, and I think this is something that most fan bases uh, can identify with, and whether it's collegiate, pro, or otherwise, but um, just the significance and the feel-good nature of getting a, a victory in a rivalry game when that game really matters. You know, every year you play your rivals, that's what makes them rivals, is it how frequently you see them and you build some bad blood and, and, and all that, and, um, and that's fine and good, but when it actually counts, when, it's, when, when, both, when both programs or both teams are in a place where they're really good. That's when rivalries, I think, really get fun uh, for both sides. And and frankly, this Oregon-Washington rivalry has been one that has been very lopsided in the past. Uh, Oregon had won 12 years in a row going up to about two years ago. And then Washington, the last two years, I believe, outscored Oregon by 84, 86 points in the last two years alone. Uh, so it really... It had not been particularly close between either two sides, but this one was. Um, it was kind of a slugfest of a game, and it was one where um, I think that the narrative about Mario Cristobal would not have been uh, one that was all that favorable had the had the Ducks lost. But he went about it his way, man. He wants to make this an attitude power football team, and he is just intent on hammering the football on the ground against good defenses, and he doesn't care how good your team is. He wants to go hat on hat, my guy against your guy, win the battle of the trenches. And it's uh, it's a different thing to watch for uh, an Oregon fan, as we've been so used to seeing the spread amount speed that uh, Chip Kelly brought uh, when he was back in his heyday that's, that has long passed. But um, it was it was just uh, everything in, in Eugene was at a fever pitch. And as, as for as much as I could... To tell. I was not there. I was in Portland for the game, but it looked to me about as wild and loud and uh, and kind of the the outburst uh, at the at the end of the final gun or when the final play got made uh, seemed to be akin to that 2005 game against Oklahoma. That was the uh, Jonathan Stewart against Adrian Peterson matchup that 
you may remember had a, a questionable refereeing call on an onside kick. Right. But, um, that's the that's the craziest I've seen Oregon's home stadium in a really long time. It really mattered to everyone there. And it's kind of a defining victory for Mario Cristobal. So overall, just a, a fun thing as an alumnus to see your program get one of those wins against one of your bitter rivals. And, uh, and really, you know, I like what the Ducks have done bouncing back since that atrocious Stanford loss. Yeah, uh, a lot to touch on there. Uh, I will start with talking about the thing that you started with first, and that is rivalries. And I think that's what makes college football so unique relative to other sports, because in almost every other sport, you're going to get more than one game against your rival a year. In college basketball, you're almost certainly going to play two games against your rival, unless it's like a Kentucky versus Indiana situation where they play early on in the year. And that in and of itself makes it a little bit less climactic than it would in, say, football. You know, obviously the Yankees and Red Sox play many, many times during the year. If they play in the playoffs like they did this year, it makes it even bigger. NFL, in, in your division, you get two games a year against usually what is your biggest rival. NBA, you play them three or four times. You get my point. That's what makes mm-hmm. college football so unique. You get one shot at these guys one day of every year and that's it and if you don't take that shot and then you gotta wait for another one you gotta wait 365 days a year and i know for me as an alabama fan i look forward to these right i look forward to alabama playing tennessee lsu and auburn about as much as i look forward to anything in my life and i think about those (laughs) games all the time during the off season yeah and certainly all the time now during the season, you know, right now, Alabama's, it's Tennessee week. And even though I think Alabama has beaten Tennessee 11 times in a row, I certainly don't want that streak to end this year. And the rivalry, yeah. in my <laughs> opinion, is as fierce as it's ever been, even though te- Alabama has dominated the rivalry. But before this 11-game win streak, to your point about the Ducks and, and the Huskies, I remember Tennessee had won seven games in a row against Alabama. That seven years of losing to your, you know, mm-hmm. your most hated rival. I would literally have nightmares about the Vols beating Alabama during that stretch. So I understand what it's like. And when you get that win, it's unlike any feeling in the world. It's just fabulous. And, and the atmosphere, you spoke to the atmosphere. There's nothing like an atmosphere of an on-campus rivalry game, a close game, and, and then you, you get the big win. And, it, and in many ways, this is a program-defining win. And you know who's not looking yeah. real good right now, Ryan, is your boy Willie Taggart. He isn't looking real oh, good. Oh boy. Uh, no. Uh, you know, he leaves Oregon. He's got a dumpster fire on his hands at Florida State. And in comes Mario Cristobal, who I think a lot of people forget. Mario Cristobal was an All-American offensive lineman on the Miami Hurricane team that I think they mm-hmm. won the championship in 91. And then they went for back-to-back in 90. Two, I may have my years off by one year, but he was on that Miami team the year Gino Toretta won the, won the Heisman, and then Alabama smoked him in the Sugar Bowl. Alabama was a huge underdog, and, and basically uh, Miami didn't score the whole game. So Mario Cristobal was on that team. So he comes from that sort of attitude of running the ball, and then, you know, of course, he was an assistant coach, the O-line coach for Nick Saban. He has a reputation as being a great developer of talent, on the offensive line, and also a tremendous recruiter. And now I think you're mm-hmm. seeing him learn how to really run a program. Uh, he had a chance to run a program once before 
uh, I th- what was he at? Mm-hmm. Florida Atlantic? Do I have that right? FAU, that's correct. Yeah. yeah, so he was at Florida Atlantic where Lane Kiffin is now. But he's doing a hell of a job. I mean, they're a fumble away from being undefeated, which would probably make them, you know, they would be the third-ranked team in the country right now if they hadn't fumbled that ball against Stanford. But I think they're clearly in the national title picture. I know you don't want to go there yet, but when you look around the landscape of college football, and maybe I should just seg into that as my good of the week. Uh, Yeah, let's do it. My good of the week is just, you mentioned it, just a wild Saturday with this game being one of them. And this, you know, was certainly one of the, the biggest games of note. I think the biggest game of note over the weekend was LSU beating Georgia, the number two team in the country, by 20 points down in Baton Rouge. They just took it How from the Bulldogs from, from start to finish. That was a game that I watched almost all of at the tailgate on campus. So I was, you know, on campus in Tuscaloosa. Uh, my dad's old fraternity brother had a great, for a great tailgate party at one of those tents set up. With a, with a TV, and, you know, I kept wanting to flip it to Washington, Oregon, flip it around to Notre Dame Pitt a little bit, but every time I did, people got really pissed off at me. It's almost like sacrilege <laughs> to not watch the SEC game, so I just kept it on the LSU-Georgia game, even though the other two games were a lot closer, so I didn't really get to see much of the Washington-Oregon game, nor the Notre Dame game, but I did see all of the LSU-Georgia game, and the LSU right now, you know, shy of probably Alabama, and maybe better than Alabama, you know, just the teams they've beaten. They've beaten the Miami Hurricanes, they won at Auburn, now they've beaten Georgia, they've got Mississippi State still coming up this weekend, they're going to play Alabama, and they still have to play Texas A&M as well. So the road doesn't get any easier for LSU, but what a job Ed Orgeron has done, and I don't think anybody really saw that that coming to this level. Uh, But also on Saturday, aside from the big Oregon win beating number 7 Washington, Iowa State knocks off number six West Virginia. Uh, Michigan State goes into Happy Valley and knocks off number eight Penn State. Uh, then you had <clears throat> Virginia getting a big win at home over then number sixteen Miami. And then at the end of the night, which really wasn't an upset, but it was by ranking, USC took care of the previously unbe- mm-hmm. unbeaten Colorado Buffs. So you had action all day, you know, start to finish, just fabulous action. I think it was the best college football Saturday of the season so far. You just had so much drama, so many big matchups, so many upsets. And now the national title picture, I think, has gotten more muddled than it was before because you really only have a couple undefeated teams now. You've got Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, and then Notre Dame. Those are your top four that are undefeated. Everybody else is kind of chasing those those four teams. The Pac-12 race is wide open. The Big 12 race is wide open. Then this Saturday... I, I NC State is still undefeated. I, I forgot to mention them. NC yeah, State's yeah, still undefeated. But they got to go to Clemson this Saturday in what's probably the game of, of this coming weekend. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, anything can happen. It's still wide open. You can almost start to see if Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama were to lose a game or Notre Dame, uh, then all bets were really off. And then you can almost see a two-loss team getting into the playoff. But, you know, it's just... It's, it's the same as every year. It's wild. It's great. It's why we love it. But I think this Saturday is when we kind of really took that leap into the college football season. We're just a week now past the midway point. And, and you know, we're, we're about as in the thick of it as you can get. It's mid-October. People are having Halloween parties. Uh, you know, football <laughs> is in the air 
everywhere you look, and none more so down, down in Tuscaloosa this weekend, which I'll detail in my interesting of the week. But just a, just a tremendous Saturday. And I also feel like, you know, we're back to college football now getting way more of my attention than the NFL. Those, those first few weeks of the NFL were great. Yesterday was great. Um, I didn't get to watch as much because I went to the race at Talladega. But, uh, you know, I mm-hmm. think right now it's all college football all the time for me. Uh, how, how are you feeling about sort of the national title picture in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's just we I feel like we usually get this weekend once a year where everything kind of gets flipped on its head. And, and most of the time people don't see it coming, but it seems like it's more often than not the case where we get uh, a domino that falls and you think, oh, this could be this one team's big chance to slip in. And then a bunch of other teams down the line also trip up all at the same time. So I, I think that I read that eight teams in the top 25 have lost and four of the eight in the top eight lost. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. it's just, it was really just carnage in the top end of the rankings. And has, as you mentioned, opened up things for a lot of teams. And yeah, the door is open, I suppose, for a team like Oregon. But uh, I just also think about the teams that could have stood to capitalize here, like a West Virginia, who, you know, if they take care of business in Ames, then maybe they're in a playoff spot right now. And um, and you look just kind of around at what each individual team has done. Now it's kind of wide open after your top three. I mean, you've got Alabama, you've got Ohio State, you've got Clemson uh, that, are, that are all up there. And, and basically, I think Notre Dame is in that four spot, and that will be how things remain. But I'm not convinced that all those those four teams all win out no. either. So no, no. I think we're going to see more. We're going to see going to see more hiccups for sure. I think there's a lot of vulnerability there in the top four. So I don't think we're done yet. But I just love the shakeup because it's. We also were around the point of the season where people were starting to complain that every everyone knows what's going to happen and we're just going to get blah 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 again. But then it's a weekend like this that reminds us. Any team can win any weekend, and that's what makes it fun. Yeah, and, and as far as the national championship picture goes, I, I believe firmly that if you have one loss right now, you're still in it. I mean, Michigan has one loss. They're very, Michigan controls their own destiny. If they were to run the yes, table, they they're going to get in the playoffs. So, you know, mm-hmm. that I just think that any team in a major conference that still has one loss is it basically controls their own destiny. Now, one of them, if everybody with one loss kind of wins out, you know, obviously that's not going to happen, but probably one team would get left out. But if you're a fan of a team with one loss, you know, Texas is firmly in it, uh, Oklahoma is firmly in it. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think that all of those teams are firmly in it. And, you know, even a team like Washington State, who Oregon's going to go play, this Saturday, it's mm-hmm. you know, a big deal because Washington State's finally getting their first game day, which is really awesome. I'm I'm happy for them. That's going to be an unbelievable. That's going to be an unbelievable scene. But Washington State controls their own destiny. I think now they might win out, and and just the relative strength of the conference, they wouldn't get in. But if you're Mike Leach and that fan base, you're thinking we win and we're in, and you know we're a long way to go. It's not like we're in Thanksgiving oh, yeah. right now. We we still got a. A long way to go, but I think that the more teams with one loss that are sort of hanging around at this point in the season, the better the sport is. So college football is great. I mean, it it really, it couldn't be better. A tremendous Saturday, and I'm already excited for this coming Saturday. But 
That's enough of the good. Uh, what was your bad of the week? Of the week, and I, I texted you this earlier. It very well could have been the Oakland Raiders, but I feel like I've hit on that a couple times recently. Yeah. I will just mention briefly. You know, it sounded like last week John Gruden was already making excuses for going to going to London and how you know that wasn't what he signed up for or whatever. I mean, he didn't say specifically that, but basically these plans were made before he came on board, and, and they're just in a bad way. But you've got your starting quarterback crying because he's got he's being hit so hard on the field. You've got rumors now that Amari Cooper's being shopped around, which now John Gruden has come out and denied. And every game he's saying, we need a pass rush, we need a pass rush. And, like, there's the whole Cleo Mack fallout still. But And then uh, to take the cake, Bruce Irvin, after the game, was asked, you know, how he felt about it. He goes, well, at the end of the day, I, I'm still getting going home to a, a beautiful wife and going to try and make some babies. So, yeah. like, they, yeah. those guys just, I mean, I feel like he's lost that team already. And there's a lot of time and a lot of money on left on that contract. It continues to be bad. It will be for a while. But um, my bad of the week is a situation that I walked into at work this morning. And huh. it's really more of a, uh, a rant than, uh, than anything else. But it, it was kind of one of those things out of a bad sitcom or so it seemed. Uh, but as you know, I, I work very early in the morning. So I got to our uh, radio station at about 5.15 a.m. And I walked in and there was a sign on the door of the studio that says, Studio not functional, under construction, use studio across the hall. Oh. And so it was like, and it was like basically they were shredding or gutting our, our board in our studio, which no one had been told about beforehand. Right. So we then, we then turn around to this other studio, which is supposed to be equipped to handle us, but really isn't set up or configured to be able to do so. Our talent doesn't have computers with internet. I don't have headphones that give me a like allow me to hear the show that's that's that, that's happening. We don't have editing capabilities in the studio, so I'm having to leave the the talent on air, run into another room and edit, and then come back to the room to take them to break. And it was just one thing after another, and then it was a revolving door of the dominoes falling. Different people understanding the kind of dire straits we were in, and, and just how screwed up the situation was. So. At around 6 a.m., one of the engineers comes in, and he's like, what the hell's going on? Like, why would this other engineer do this on this day? And, like, then at 7 o'clock, my direct boss comes in, and he's like, what's going on? And then at 8 o'clock, his direct boss comes in, and he's like, what's going on? And basically, there was just no communication from the technical side of the company and kind of left everybody in the lurch. So it was a little bit of a comedy of errors uh, this morning where uh, I couldn't con- – couldn't control a lot of things that I needed to. And knowing that, you kind of sit back and just laugh at it. But it was a, a typical situation in which uh, the corporate communication was not as good as it needed to be. And uh, it left a lot of people on the early AM shift surprised and uh, in a pretty tough spot. So that would be my bad of the week is, uh, is showing up to do a job and realize that everything has been thrown for a loop, much like the, uh, the top 25 in college football. Did you get the show on the air? We got the show on the air. It was uh, it was just it was kind of janky and not I shouldn't say janky. I don't know that people at home would have noticed too much, but there are things that you just couldn't make it smooth. I had very little little volume control, uh, being able to mix the voices of the people on the show and music and sound bites, and so some things were happening that were way too loud, and other things were happening that were way too soft, and then. I was also having to do a lot of things manually that are usually set up to be done automatically. So 
it ended up working. It was just uh, not the kind of show we wanted to have the Monday after a big uh, rivalry win. Yeah. I don't know what I can add to that other than to say I've been involved yeah. in more, more of those situations than I care to, care to admit in the television business. I, so I know you can appreciate and identify, but that's, that was just my bad of the week is, is walking into an unexpected situation in which uh, your, kind of, uh, your technical world didn't flipped upside down. But hopefully tomorrow it's a little bit smoother. All right. I hope, I hope for your sake that it is. I know everybody out there listening can certainly relate to, you know, the shit hitting the fan at the old workplace, you know that's uh, uh-huh. that's that's part of that's part of the job, as they say. Uh, I actually we have a little bit of sports breaking news that's not so good. I don't Ooh. know if you just saw this, but on Twitter, I just logged on here, and uh, Portland Trailblazer and Seattle Seahawk owner Paul Allen has passed away uh, from cancer. Oh wow! Yeah, he was uh, so big news wow, for you is... up there in the Pacific Northwest. He was only sixty-five, of course. He was the co-founder, along with Bill Gates, of Microsoft. So, uh, sad news there, and certainly would be interesting to see what the line of succession is on two different pro franchises. I, I don't know that he has any kids in either business or anything like that, so you might have uh, possibly two franchises up for sale up there. I don't, I don't know how, what's gonna, how that's going to go down. Yeah, I know that he had battled cancer uh, actually a couple times. I, I believe it was. I don't want to. I don't want to get the facts wrong, but I believe it was uh, lymphoma or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma non-Hodgkin's. initially. Yeah, and he had uh, he had battled that. I want to say back in 2011 and beat it. And I I remember reading a news update for uh, about him no more than two or three weeks ago, uh, where he just said that it was back, but he's fighting it, and he and his doctors were optimistic, and that was. The last thing I heard about two weeks ago, and uh, and so that really surprising to to um, to get to hear this news. It's it's, it's stunning, and I'm sure something that I'll I'll, I'll feel a lot of the effects of uh, being here in the Portland community, where uh, you know he's he's obviously a big centerpiece. So that, that is pretty shocking. Yeah, big news there. Um, so I don't know. I I was really thinking long and hard about my bad of the week. I just had a tremendous trip. I'm in a really good mood. Uh, I don't really have one. I'll just touch on a couple things that happened on the trip that weren't the best. Um, I, went to the Tal- <laughs> I went to the Talladega race yesterday with a good buddy of mine, and it the scene is just off the charts in a lot of ways. I mean, it is, you know, not to be disparaging, and I don't mean this to be disparaging, but it is about the most redneck crowd that you could possibly be a part <laughs> of. It is just, I mean, it's almost unimaginable to be honest, especially for somebody who kind of flies in and isn't really from there. Um, the, cra- the crowd and the people watching, are it- it's unlike anything I've ever seen, honestly. It's also in a very beautiful part of Alabama. Uh, you're looking out from the grandstands into these gorgeous rolling hills. The weather was incredible. Uh, it was like about 85 degrees. Really had a great time. The traffic is legendary there, but we kind of came in late after it died down and we left like the second the race ended and got right out mm-hmm. back to Birmingham. So that was all good. On the bad side, the race was just awful. It was a very boring race. You had the four cars from Stuart Haas Racing dominate. They were basically places one through four the whole day. There was very little racing to be seen. I mean, you go to Talladega, you know, it's the fastest track in NASCAR. You expect some great racing. You expect a big crash or two. I've been twice now, and I still haven't seen more than a single car wreck. Um, very disappointing. 
to be honest with you, I almost fell asleep at one point during the race. Like, <laughs> literally, I almost fell asleep. It was just a very, very boring race. And I know I detailed my NASCAR experience at Sonoma in detail uh, over the summer. I think I might be done going to NASCAR races for a while, Ryan. I, I don't know. I, I It's like, mm. it's a lot of fun. I'm just kind of down on it. I'll I'll go to Sonoma. But I'm not making any more effort to really go to a race on the road. I think I've, I need a break. I just need a break. The whole vibe around the sport is not what it once was. It's uh, the sport's struggling, man. It's they had a pretty good crowd. I mean, they they usually sell out. It was a long way from a sellout. I mean, they had a ton of people. They had over a hundred thousand people there. But by their standards, it wasn't great. So that was a little bit of a disappointment. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is you get back into the Bay Area. I, I flew into Oakland, and then I debated hard whether to do an Uber or get on the BART. I wanted to get home mm-hmm. quicker, so I got an Uber. And I get the Uber pool, but we ended up not picking up anybody. So I basically got a discounted ride, which was great. Oh, that's nice. But on the downside, it's like you just have this great trip, and then you're immediately on 80 there by the Coliseum and Oracle Arena, just in standstill traffic. It took like an hour oh. to get home. Like, standstill traffic in the middle of the day on a Monday is tough to take. The traffic, I know you've been gone for a little bit of time now, and it was getting way worse when you left. The traffic in the Bay Area is getting to be about as bad as anywhere in America, I think. It's just over, you know, it's always a lot of construction. There's just too many people that live here. It's overgrown. The traffic's really getting to me, man. I think I'm getting old. The, The traffic... And getting around, even just getting around San Francisco sucks. It's really, really tough. And you got to take public transportation as much as you can, but then that's problematic. It's not the best system. So I don't know. I'm just a little bit down on just getting around the Bay Area. It's the best place in America to live still, I think, but the traffic's really, really getting to me, especially, you know, when you've flown across country all day. The last thing you want to do is sit in a car again for an hour. I was in the car longer than I was on my second flight. So just just to give you a little bit of a comparison there. But I'm not that upset. Again, I had a great trip. But I'll just leave it at that. That's that's my bad of the week. Well, I uh, I lament the, uh, the traffic woes of the Bay Area. And even though it has been about six months since I left, uh, I know very well how much worse that had gotten towards the, the end of my time there. And yeah. it, it, to the point... To the point, really, where it was—it's a situation where, like, from a certain time in the afternoon, from about one o'clock on, it's really ugly to drive until about eight o'clock. There's like a seven-hour window when it's just not good to do. And you mentioned too, San Francisco, uh, inside of the city, really tough to get around with so much construction and, and things like that happening. So, uh, not ideal, but still uh, a wonderful place to be. For sure. Uh, let's move on. What's your what's your interesting of the week? Uh, my interesting of the week comes uh, to us from the hardwood, and uh, believe it or not, tomorrow night the Golden State Warriors begin their quest for a three peat. Ring it night, seems like the ring night, and uh, and that rat Russell Westbrook is ducking KD. Uh, I believe he will not be playing since he had a I think a knee surgery. Oh really? Um, I didn't know that. I. I I believe that he was expected to be out for this game. Uh, so, of course, you can, you can let the uh, let the petty 
season jokes fly about you know Russell Westbrook not wanting to be there to see or not wanting to let Kevin Durant have the satisfaction, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's those are all the uh, the storylines that the interwebs love to run with. But um, I really am excited for the NBA season to come back. Part of that is because uh, the NFL season has not been nearly as positive uh, for my San Francisco 49ers as I kind of hoped I would be. Uh, kind of wrapped up in them. Uh, I haven't really been pulled in by the Major League Baseball playoffs yet, um, and maybe that's going to happen in the next couple of days. Um, but I think for as much as the kind of the masses in general and the people who follow basketball have, have kind of complained about the Warriors and what they've done to the league, whether it's they've ruined the league or whether it's not fair or whether it's just boring to watch or not fun to watch, um, as a Warriors fan, I think this is about as fascinating as it gets because I just – I don't. I think people often don't realize how hard it is to kind of keep a good thing like this going. Um, and obviously, this may be. This could also be the last year that you have this group together, as um, Draymond and Clay are both going to be free agents. Uh, as Kevin is Durant. Durant could, yep, Kevin Durant could opt out again, yeah. which uh, he is likely likely to do. Um, there's now the rumblings that KD is willing to play in New York. KD is willing to go to LA. KD doesn't maybe have a reason to stay in the Bay area. And, and then there's, you hear the things we heard towards the end of last season about, uh, and one of our first podcasts, I think we were talking about how there was supposedly some, some drama going on behind the scenes yeah. there. I just think that this gets more and more difficult with the more and more success that you have. And whatever things were bubbling up last year are sure, sure to come back this year. Um, and I, I'm just looking forward to um, seeing kind of how they handle it, if they can do it. I, I, you look at how favored they are in the Vegas odds. I think they're almost minus 200 favorites to win the title, which is just, I mean, it's, I mean when you get that far past even money, it's just insane. I think they're a minus 195 bet right now. And uh, that is just so hard to do in sports. And I, get, I get it. I know how much talent they have. I don't want to say it should be hard for them to win the title with the talent they have, but to maintain this level of dominance and consistency, um, I'm excited to watch how that happens. They still get everybody's best shot. They're still the hunted. Uh, I think if you don't like it, it's it can, it's an exciting thing to follow to see who might be able to go get them. Is that team the Rockets? Do they still have it? Is that team the Celtics? Does it have to come from the East? But I, I just... I, as a Warriors fan, obviously am excited about what the team still has, but I think that uh, there are a lot of people who think the NBA is not interesting because the Warriors are going for the three-peat. I think the war the NBA is interesting because the Warriors are going for the three-peat. Yeah, <clears throat> I disagree. Um, and, and that's been detailed here on this show several times. As recently as, I think, two weeks ago, I kind of got going yeah, on it. Yeah, I think you're right. I just think that and, and I and I completely understand what you're saying. I think if you're a Warriors fan, it's, you know, it doesn't get any better than this. You're going for your not only the three-peat, but you'd be going for your fourth title in 5 years. Uh that you know, mm -hmm. you're 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 climbing up the list now if you win this year as one of the great teams in the history of the sport. Uh it's also the last year that they're going to be playing in Oakland, which here in the Bay Area, I actually this dawned on me today when I was sitting in traffic looking at Oracle Arena. They don't have much on this, you know, if anything, really, on the signage about this being their last uh, year. It's almost like they're going to try to downplay it as much as they can to, because obviously they don't want to uh, alienate their fan base that supported them now 
for over 50 years. And I'll bring something up. I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I heard you know, they had one of those open practices, right, where fans can go and, and see what the team does. Uh, and they held it at Oracle, and they had Steve Kerr mic'd up for it. And they also had your boy, Bob Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. kind of narrating what was going on and doing some interviews uh, in between. And, and Bob mentioned something about, let's hear it for the last year at Oracle. And he got roundly booed by the uh, Warriors fans that were in attendance. So I do think they're going to try to make it a quiet exit. I think that they're going to have all the pomp and circumstance of opening up a new building, but I don't know that they want to commemorate uh, Oracle that much because I think it may be viewed as kind of a slap to the the fans that are there in Oakland. Yeah, I I agree. It's a really tricky thing because they need those fans to come to the new arena. You know, they're going to... They're going to be relying on them, at least in part, to fill this. And this new arena, by all accounts, is going to be probably the best indoor arena in the country, if not the world. It's also going to be the most expensive arena in the country to go to. Tickets are going to be out of sight. And if they, you know, to your point, if they can't keep at least most of this team together, they're going to really fall flat on their face as they move to this new arena. And I know that the Lakeup and Myers and, and the rest of the ownership group there is very aware of that. And that's going to be a really interesting story as well. I mean, if you can bring back Curry, Durant, I'm sorry, Curry, Clay, and Draymond, I mean, you need to bring back three of the four next year to, to open this arena. But that's kind of a story for another day. But to your point about it being interesting and good for the NBA, I, I just disagree. I'm not excited. Well, for the... I don't know that the Warriors' pursuit is good for the NBA. I, I don't want to get that twisted. I, I understand that the other 29 fans may not be interested in Warrior in Warriors chasing that down. I just think it's an interesting storyline personally, but I can get how that may not be interesting for everyone. Well, the NBA has never been more popular, and you know, if, if it's whether it's because of the Warriors in part and their dominance or not, it's certainly a part of it because. The popularity as far as the television ratings and the attendance and, you know, the social media presence has never been greater. It seems like everybody's excited for the season to tip off tomorrow night. I'm not among them. You know, I'm not going to, I just, I'll watch a little bit, but there's really no sizzle in it for me. And again, it's it's simply because, in my opinion, we already know who's going to be in the NBA Finals. It's going to be the Warriors and the Celtics. If it's not Something crazy is going to have to happen either by injury or by trade to make one of these other contending teams better. Um, so, I, 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 you know, as a non-biased observer of the league, that's my honest feeling. I just don't see any way it's not the Warriors and the Celtics. But I'm on record, you know, I, I could be wrong because a lot of times when everybody thinks one thing, no matter what it is in life, a lot of times they're wrong. So maybe that will be the case as we get here under the season. But it's a long season, man. I mean, you know, we're not we're here on October the 15th. This thing doesn't end until, like, the playoffs don't start to, like, April the 20th, somewhere in there, uh, that weekend. So, I mean, it's just such a long, long period of time. It's like, the you know what always sits me that's weird about this NBA season is it's the weather's warm when it starts and it's warm when it ends. And, and then it's like... You get all of winter kind of in the middle. It almost spans three seasons, really, uh, in in terms of Mm -hmm. fall, winter, and spring. And it takes you almost right up to summer. So it just never ends. It's just too much. It's too much to take in from a casual observer. But again, 
I'm in the minority, and I'm happy that you're happy, and I'm happy that you're interested and excited <laughs> for the Warriors, but I'm not going to be that into it, at least until, you know, at least until it's not. It's like 80 degrees here today. I'm not going to watch ball when it's 80 degrees out. I'm going to watch football <laughs> and playoff basketball and, and leave the NBA for some cooler weather. But uh, let's move on uh, <clears throat> to my interesting of the week. And my interesting of the week is simply just my trip to Tuscaloosa. I mean, there's almost too much to sort of get into, and, and it, you know, words do obviously don't do it justice. Anybody who's, everybody out there's just had tremendous experiences, and it's the memories that you make uh, and, and look back on, and, and that's really the joy for you internally. But let me just say that going to Tuscaloosa for a big college football weekend is about as good as it gets for me. Um, everything around it was great. But I think, you know, just being at Bryant-Denny Stadium in, excuse me, in that atmosphere. You know, I've probably been to Bryant-Denny Stadium now. I was thinking about it. I think this was my seventh or eighth game there. Um, and I think it's my fourth since Saban has become the head coach. And this was probably the most electric I've ever seen the stadium. The only thing that may have discounted a little bit <clears throat> was just the fact that the opponent, Missouri, didn't really threaten the Tide much at all. You know, pretty much everybody knew that Alabama was going to win. They were a 28-point favorite. If and, You know, they ended up winning by 29. The, the battle against the spread was really <clears throat> the most fascinating part. You had the at the subplot during the game of of the quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, hurting his knee again. <clears throat> the whole third quarter was, like, very dreary. I felt like me and pretty much everyone else in the stadium weren't really watching the game. We're just waiting to see what was happening in the medical tent. I don't know if you saw this on TV, but he was in the medical tent for like 20 minutes. I mean, it was in a, an eternity. And at one point, his parents came down from the stands and went into the medical tent. And when that happened, I just about wanted to vomit because I basically, yeah, yeah. you know, it seemed like the national title was just in that medical tent and, and you know, almost like going down the drain because this guy, Ryan... I've talked to him a little bit about him a little bit on the podcast, but <clears throat> seeing him in person, I think he's the best college quarterback I've ever seen, um, especially as a passer. Now, I mean, uh, my dad and my brother and I, my cousin who were there and, and one of my best friends, we were all talking about this, like which college quarterback is better, is, is a better player than him? You know, and we thought Vince Young was obviously really good. Uh, Matt Leinert was really good. Carson Palmer was really good. I mean, there's been a bunch of them. But just as a pure passer and the ability to put up points in the blink of an eye and the accuracy that he has on these deep balls that he throws, I don't think I've seen anybody better. Um, what, what, what's your take on that? And I'll, and I'll continue to tell a little bit more about the experience there. God, I mean, I don't know that there's, I, I don't know that there's anybody more electric than him right now um you know it's it's so hard to say like ever because yeah. there's ever so many guys who've had no it's so many guys have had so many just awesome seasons where yeah. they were just completely lighting it up i mean you think of just some of the other heisman campaigns from quarterbacks and the successes that, that some of those guys had just just throwing the football i mean um you know like i, I think about some of the the old you know like jason white at oklahoma and uh, mm -hmm. matt leinert at sc and, johnny football um, and john i mean yeah and you know what johnny football 
he was he had all the electricity, but you know I don't know that he was as as proficient as a just a pure passer. And two has got all his electricity plus all of all those other quarterbacks' passing abilities. So yeah. that's where it's like you know he he's got everything that every uh, proficient college passers ever had, and then on top of it, he's got the improv skills and the the feet to go with it, which which really kind of puts him in a class all alone. And from that standpoint, I think he's unlike a quarterback that maybe we've seen before um, because of just how good that, that arm and the accuracy are when you mix it with uh, the lower half and his escapability and his ability to extend plays and, and just be creative. It, it, is, it is really something. And so I'd be hard-pressed to say he's not, but I, I think saying he is, is is a hard thing to, to say for sure also. Yeah, and he's only played... They're seven and zero, so he's played seven games and a half of last year, um, and he hasn't played in the fourth quarter of any game this year. They haven't played any really tough defenses. I think that's the one thing that uh, we need to really keep in mind here. Let's see how he does for a full season. You know, he's got this knee issue. I really thought that he would have to miss this upcoming game against Tennessee. Uh, Saban said today that's not the case. He's a full go for practice today. And he fully expects him to play this weekend. Uh, the, and actually, Vegas did not release a line on the game until after Saban's press conference today. So that tells you, you know, that they thought that there was real risk of him missing the game as well. I'll st- I'll wait on his place in college football history until we see him play a whole season. Until we see him play in a really close game. Obviously, we saw him in a close game in the national title game, but he's on a whole other level this year. I mean, I'm just looking at the list right here of Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. And, you know, there's a lot of great ones. That That's why they won the Heisman Trophy. Um, but I just, I go through this list, and I just don't think there's anybody that I would put him above my man Tua right now as, a, as just a, a pure passer, a pure ability to put up points. I mean, he has an unbelievable core of receivers around him. These these three sophomore receivers, Ruggs, Smith, and Judy, and now they've got the freshman Waddle. I mean, they all can, you know, can just run a vertical route down the field and Tua can just drop it into him. So, I mean, th- that's a big part of it. And he has the, the tight end Irv Smith. He has and then he has got three all American caliber running backs in the run game as well. And a and a great offensive line. So none of those things are hurting him. I just don't know who's better. I really don't. Um, but we'll, well see. And the competition, the competition wasn't there, but the proficiency that one Marcus Mariota put up in his Heisman season, I, I know from a statistical standpoint, was about as good. I, he, I don't think he had the same, uh, the same frequency of touchdown numbers, but the guy just never made a mistake. And you can give a lot of credit to the offense that Chip, that Chip Kelly installed uh, but Marcus was at his peak. I mean, if you recall, he ran away with that Heisman, much like I think two was going to do. I mean, it wasn't even close. Yeah, he, and, he uh, got in the ninety percentiles in the vote, as did Baker Mayfield last year. I'm actually looking at Mariota's numbers. Uh, his Heisman year, he was sixty eight percent as a passer. He threw for forty four hundred yards, forty two touchdowns, and four interceptions. Um, for and he didn't play a lot of those fourth quarters, much like your boy Tua does. Yeah, and he also ran 
He had a big year. He ran for 770 yards and 15 touchdowns. So he had 42 touchdowns in the air, 15 on the ground. That's a big production. Um, I think so. He threw at a clip of about 68%. I think two is passing in the 80s. I think he's like got an is 80 he really? percent. I knew he was above, I thought, I knew he was above 70, but that's and yeah, he that's hasn't impressive. thrown an interception this year. He threw an interception on his second possession in the national championship game. That's the only mm-hmm. interception he's thrown. He fumbled it on Saturday night. He's got two fumbles <clears> on the year. I think he's got 20 touchdown passes and no interceptions, uh, seven games in. So he hadn't played in the fourth quarter. So he's he's pretty good. And to me, you know, I, I would say this also. If you put him on, like we were talking about these teams that have like one loss, like a team like, take a team like Washington or a team like Texas or a team like Michigan or a team Michigan State, like, you know, a, a good team, but not a great team. If you put him on any of those teams, I think they're immediately like one of the two or three best teams in the country. I really do. I think that he's that good. I think he's that much of a difference maker. And the reason I say that is because Alabama had, who most people thought, one of the top quarterbacks in the country in Jalen Hurts. He took him to two national championships. He was 26-2 and as a starter. And this guy, too, makes him look very average. I mean, when when Hurts comes in now, it's just like almost depressing that the exciting guy isn't in there anymore. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like such a, such a step down. It's glaring, particularly in person. The guys, he's unbelievable. Just the command he has of the offense, the way he looks guys off to one way and goes to his second or third progression, the way he gets through his progressions and his reads is so far mature beyond his years. Again, he started seven games. And, you know, one of those is against Louisiana Lafayette. So, you know, he, he really just hasn't seen that much. So his progression in the position is unlike anything I've ever seen. But enough uh, slobbering of Tua. Just back to, the, <laughs> back to the scene in Tuscaloosa. I know you've been yeah. to some big college football atmospheres, but just the, t- you know, I hadn't been to a night game in Tuscaloosa before. It was a 6 o'clock local start. So people had all day to tailgate. The tailgating scene is unbelievable. I know tailgating's great everywhere, you know, some better than others. But Alabama, I- I'm not going to say it's the best, but it's certainly among them. I mean, the atmosphere there on campus for those three or four hours before the game was just crazy. I mean, it was just wild. I mean, just the amount of people that descend on this little town in Alabama, it's not easy to get to. And it's almost like it doesn't even matter where you're coming from. You're you're driving down country roads for the most part. You know, there's like one road in and out of the town. The traffic's horrific. There's nowhere really to park. But somehow they make it all work. And, you know, it's just like, the, the town is just overrun with people wearing uh, crimson who are there to drink, eat, party, watch some ball, and just have a great day. It, it's it's just it's fabulous. We, we just had such a great day, and then the atmosphere in the stadium was great. Did you see the whole thing with the Dixieland Delight song? Did that, did that hit you at all? No, I didn't. Okay, uh, I, you should I look it up. That it's that actually was, I, I, I posted it or something like that. I mean, I heard. Yeah, okay, so of, but I don't so know quick story. I think I'm alienating most of our listeners now, but 
Quick, quick story. So Dixieland <laughs> Delight is one of the of the country band Alabama's most famous songs, and it's basically okay. about going out on a Saturday night with your girl. And it's a really famous country song. And Alabama used to play it for years at Bryant Denny Stadium, and everyone got into it. And there's like in the refrain, there's a part where everybody yells "Roll Tide," and then they yell "Beat Auburn," it, regardless of who they're playing that day. It's always "Beat Auburn." Yeah. Um, okay. And so in 2014 at the Iron Bowl, Alabama was beating Auburn pretty good, and the student section instead of yelling "Beat Auburn," started yelling "F Auburn," except not "F." They they said the whole word, um, and they said yeah, it yeah, yeah, over yeah. and over and over again. And sort of the more dyed in the wool older Alabama fans got really pissed <laughs> off, and it just sure. wasn't a good look on TV. I mean, it's easy to understand why the administration especially at a school in the deep south like Alabama, wouldn't like that that much. So they banned it. And, uh, you know, the students have been has been clamoring to get it back. So it's been four years now. And then a few weeks ago when Alabama was hammering Louisiana Lafayette, all the students left like at halftime. It was just kind of a crappy atmosphere in the second half. And Saban went off publicly on the students for not staying longer and for being spoiled. Right, I remember that. So yeah. this was sort of part of a way to get the students to stay for the whole game because they had been wanting the song to come back. And so on Tuesday before the game, Saban's wife and the athletic director and Damian Harris and the school president released a video saying we were going to bring it back, but if you guys don't keep it clean, we're basically going to never have it again. So this is your chance to show you know, that you can handle it or whatever. And I thought for sure that they would not handle it well. I thought for sure... The students, if not everybody in the stadium, would yell F Auburn. But when it went down, there was so much buildup for it. You could just feel it in the stadium, like when the fourth quarter started, just the, the fervor for this song. And when it hit, it was awesome. Like, I, I really thought <laughs> the hype was overhyped, but it was so fun. It was so great. Everybody was so into it. Check out my Instagram page. I posted a, a video of it. Um, or you can find it. Lots of people posted it. Yeah. It's really pretty cool. And I've just been singing the song in my head nonstop since since Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> but a great tradition is now back at Alabama. And I just hope that they don't spoil it when the Iron Bowl rolls around. Because the Iron Bowl is at uh, Bryant-Denny again this season. So we'll see how they handle it then. But just uh, that just added to the whole atmosphere, the pageantry. And I know it was great at lots of places around the country. Really, I do. I'm not trying to say that Alabama is the best atmosphere or anything like that. It's great in, you know, 15 or 20 places, I think, are on par. But I wasn't at any of those other places. I was in T-Town, and it was freaking awesome. And I can't wait to go again next year. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed uh, or have enjoyed the, the very – abbreviated stays I've had uh, in the South, specifically around college football, uh, and very antsy to get back and, uh, and go to another one of those types of games. Uh, Oregon did reschedule a home-and-home -home with Georgia, so I will yeah. certainly be going to check out the scene in Athens when that does roll around, but there's, there's nothing quite like uh, SEC football on a Saturday. It's incredible. Um, all right, enough of that. Let's go in the book. Uh, I can't remember who I had for my locks. I know I went... Three and two in college and two and three in the NFL. So a bit of a disappointing 500 week for me in our pool. 
Um, how did you? Uh, you your locks. You went one and one. You were correct on pit plus twenty one. Yes. Okay. Uh, but you uh, you narrowly missed the New England Patriots minus three and a half. They only covered by three. Um, so you are uh, five seven and one on your locks on the year. I went two and zero on mine. Good for you. Um, I had I had the uh, I had Philly uh, in the Thursday night game, and then I had uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes on Saturday. Uh, taking care of business against Indiana, so now I am back to six and seven. Um, you want to fire it up for this week? What do you like in college? Yeah, let's fire it up. I, it's again, it's always tough to pick on Monday, um, but just some spreads that jump out to me. I, normally, I am an underdog player. Uh, that's just how I am. But three uh-huh. of the top teams this week have spreads as favorites that I kind of like. Uh, Alabama's a okay. twenty-eight and a half-point favorite against Tennessee in Knoxville, which has got to be, if I were to bet, I would say that's probably the biggest spread in the history of this rivalry. Um, but knowing now that my man 13 is going to be under center for the Tide, and I I just feel like people are going to see that spread with Tennessee coming off the win at Auburn. But Auburn's in a death spiral right now, and I don't think they're very good at all. They can't score. Jeremy Pruitt did get his first big win, his first conference win, and they're going to be jacked up for this game, but I think Alabama is going to put the absolute beat down on them. I think they win by five touchdowns or more. I like Alabama laying the points. I also like... I'm with you there. I got to say, I, that, that was one that one game that I circled to for the exact reasons. I think this is the, where the spot where people say, oh, no Tua, and the public falls in love with betting almost 30 points, and uh, I, I do think Alabama's going to smack him. I'm with you there. Everyone's going to take the Vols in that game. Um, then I like Michigan laying the 7.5 for the exact same reason. Uh, Michigan State coming off the big win in Happy Valley. That spread feels too big. I feel like Michigan State will get all the money, so give me the Wolverines laying 7.5 in East Lansing. And then same thing with Clemson. People see NC State's undefeated, Clemson's a big favorite at 16.5, but I think there's a reason they're such a big favorite, and I think they had the week off. Hopefully, they're going to get Trevor Lawrence back in form now. I think they will, and I think they'll put the smack down on the Wolfpack. And then one other game I like, uh, I like Mississippi State going into Baton Rouge catching seven against LSU. See, that's the spot where I feel like everyone's going to be high on LSU, they're going to say they should be favored by more than seven. I think seven's a good number for that reason. Give me Mississippi State. So those are my four. Miss State is the dog okay. and three favorites. Clemson, Michigan, Alabama. How about you? And do you have a lock you want to go with? Oh, lock. Clemson. I'll, I'll lock. Clemson is the lock. Clemson's okay. the lock. Um, all right, cool. Hold on. Let me just, uh, I'm just transcribing Clemson. Um, yeah, so I like a couple games this week. Um, I actually, I have, I am kind of more mixed in picking the dogs, but there are a couple double digit dogs I like this week. Um, I think that despite their loss at USC, I think Colorado getting more than two touchdowns at UW is a really intriguing spot. Um, I, you know, UW now, I don't want to say they don't have anything to play for, but between the losses to Auburn and loss to Oregon, uh, you know, they don't, they're not in the driver's seat anymore. And so they're not even in the Colorado. They're not, they're not in, they are no longer in the car. Yeah, no, I meant specifically for the conference too. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but basically 
they'll rely on other people now. And even though I think they'll beat Colorado, 15 and a half is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really I like Alabama to, co- to cover. Um, I kind of like Iowa to take it to Maryland. I, I really liked what I, what I saw them do uh, last week against Indiana. Uh, you know, as far as just quality of opponent, I think probably similar uh, Maryland and Indiana, that is. And uh, the other one I kind of like is um, I think this might be where Scott Frost picks up his first win this week. It's uh, Nebraska is actually a three and a half point favorite, which you don't usually see with a team that's 0 and 6. Um, but Minnesota is 3 and 3. They're not a very good 3 and 3. If you look at the teams they beat, they started the season 3 0, beat some really weak non conference opponents, and really have not shown very well since then. I just think Frost is going to get over the hump. This seems like a good spot to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then my, my lock of the week, uh, I was surprised when I saw this line come out. Oregon is not favored against uh, Washington State. I get that it's in the Palouse. I get that Martin Stadium is not an easy place to play. And I get that this week's game that Oregon had um, took a lot out of them. So it could be viewed as a, a letdown spot. But I think with all the hype and everything going on in in Pullman and at Washington State, I think that the pressure is more going to be on Washington State to perform. I think Oregon should be favored. So if you're giving me the points, I will take Oregon as my luck. Okay. Um, all right. Let's go over to the pros where, you know, looking at pro lines on Monday, it's almost like looking at a Rubik's Cube. Like, I, I don't <laughs> even know how to begin to solve it. One line that jumps out at me just looking at it here uh, the Patriots are three and a half point favorites in Chicago, um, uh-huh. which is a spread that seems like it should probably be a little bit more. You know, the Bears blew that lead, uh, blew a big lead to Brock Osweiler yeah. in Miami and end up losing the game. I think Khalil Mack's hurt now. Um, that defense of the Bears that everyone thought was so good got shredded. And then, yeah, you know, New England puts up the 43 last night on national television, wins a thriller of a game. Everyone's going to take New England there. It opened at two and a half. It's up to three and a half. I would be inclined to take the Bears there. Um, okay. So I, I would I would like the Bears there. Uh, just looking at some of these others. Philly laying four and a half against Carolina. <sighs> I would be inclined to take I had that one circled. I'm, I'm interested in that one. I like Carolina there, I think. Hmm. Um, I like. I think Philly may be rounding into form uh, after a, a really rocky start with that Super Bowl hangover. I don't, I don't think that they're great by any stretch, but uh, but I, I didn't like what I saw from Carolina uh, this last week against, no, they got, they got uh, blown against Washington. Carolina is one of these teams that seems like they'll be really good one week and then just fall on their face the next. They're that, that kind of yeah. team. So I, I would just like them in a bounce-back spot, catching four and a half against the Eagles. Uh, Cincinnati going to Kansas City is a hell of a game. Cincinnati lane six. I would probably take the points there as well, just because I feel like the, the Chiefs... You mean KC lane six, right? KC's laying six at home. I, give me the Bengals yeah. plus six. Um, and then... Ooh, the Rams are ten and a half point favorites in San Francisco. That's mm-hmm. a lot of points. I like I like the Niners there. I don't okay. know. It, looking at these spreads uh, on Monday with the NFL, another great game. You got the Saints going to Baltimore. Um, Baltimore is uh-huh. a two and a half point favorite. That's a tough one to pick. I would I would lean towards Baltimore there, only giving the two and a half. Uh, but the Saints are coming off the coming off a bye, so they should be fresh. I don't know. Uh, Locke, 
Lock, lock me in on the Bengals. Plus six. Lock in Michael in on the Bengals. Right, Bengals plus enough. six at Arrowhead. That's my lock of the week. All right. Um, yeah, when I looked at this card, a couple ones jumped out to me. I, I think I like Philly here mostly because I think Carolina's just kind of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, I, I, I can't figure out whether they're good or not. I think Philly might be might be rounding into shape. Four and a half is a, a tricky number, but I do like Philly there. I actually like uh, New Orleans in this spot against Baltimore. I think New Orleans, uh, after their dismantling of the Redskins on Monday Night Football, Drew Brees setting all those records, um, I think they look pretty good right now after after a notoriously slow start. It seems like they start 0-2 and are getting blasted every year, and then they suddenly pick it up and quietly become one of the better teams in the league. I think they're on that trajectory again. I think you give them points, I'll, I'll take them there. Um, I actually like the Rams minus 10.5. I think that line's probably going to go up. We, we obviously won't see, we don't know yet what will happen to the Niners in, 40, in Monday Night Football, but they are, of course, on a short week. Um, and the Rams... You know, I, I just don't think that the Niners' defense can keep up with the Rams' offense at all. Um, so I like that there. But uh, my my favorite play of the week is Minnesota minus three at the Jets. I know that the Jets are um, coming off a win, <clears throat> but I just think that Minnesota is a better team on both sides of the ball. Uh, I'm surprised that that's only three. I thought it might be three and a half, four, four and a half. So uh, give me the Vikings laying three in the Meadowlands as my lock. All right. Cool. Uh, wild card me. Yeah, wild card. Well, you uh, bring up some interesting knowledge of, uh, of the South and the, uh, the area around Alabama. Mm-hmm. It has been determined that for my bachelor party, will be at the end of April, and we're going to fly into Nashville for the first round of the NFL draft. And then from there, we're going to drive to Talladega Super Speedway, where you just were, huh. for the NASCAR race at, uh, at the end of April. Wow. So we have, we have not done, when I say we, my group of friends, we've not done the, um, the real Southern Fried, you know, you, you mentioned at the top of the show, it's about as redneck as it could get, oh. which is kind of what we're Unbelievable, we're Ryan. Is, is, Unbelievable. Is that kind of party scene. So that, that's what we're looking for. So my question to you, I know you spent time both in Talladega and in Nashville, do you have a tip for each city? I don't as, know. As I don't know Nashville. A bar, a restaurant, something to do, see. Yeah, like that. I would have to look this up. Um, I haven't been to Nashville in a long time. Uh, I went there a few times when I lived in Knoxville, but that was like 16 years ago. And, I, and I've been to Nashville once for a couple nights in 2011 when we were on our way to Knoxville for the Oregon-Tennessee game. Yeah. Uh, loved Nashville, but didn't know if you had any insider's perspective. Not really. I mean, they've got the one main drag there where, where like Tootsies and, and all those bars are, like all mm-hmm. the honky-tonks. That's a lot of fun. I know they've got a place called, I think it's called Cat on a Hot Tin Roof after the famous Southern novel. Um, mm-hmm. That's a hot spot. I'd have to really look it up, though, in terms of of restaurants. Um, I think they've got... Well, then maybe just a tip for Talladega. Are you going to get an RV? We are going to get an RV. Okay, yeah, I would recommend that. There's really no good places to stay around Talladega. Um, One interesting thing that I noticed yesterday, at the exit where you get off the highway to go to the racetrack in Talladega, it seemed like they have not one, not two... But three different shooting ranges for you to choose from there uh, around the racetrack. One of which is called, which stuck out, is called 
the Guntry Club. So that might be worth <laughs> that, that might it. be worth checking out, you know, to 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 get your rocks off, so to speak. Um, there's really okay. nothing. There's nothing around there. You know what I would do? I would look into like trying to get some fishing in around there because they've got a lot of nice lakes. Uh. And it's really a beautiful area. My dad actually grew up pretty near there in a little town called Gadsden. And they've got, you know, you probably don't want to go hunting, but fishing might be really cool. I'll bet you you can figure out a way to, like, rent a couple fishing boats where they'd have all the gear for you to make it low impact on you. And that could be a great day. um, Yeah, that could be. That would be something I would be interested in. Um, as, as far as places to go around there, I don't really know. I would have to look it up. I mean, it's it's pretty remote. It, it is. It, yeah, no, I'm just kind of looking for your pro tips. Yeah, that would be it. And and I think having an RV, you're going to have a great time. You know, you're going to park it. There's going to be lots of other people around. And just get ready for... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is red. It is red, red, red. Like, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, you know, I've been in the South a lot, and some of the stuff that I saw going on in and around the track, the little bit of time I was there yesterday, just some of the conversations I heard going on, unbelievable. I mean... I'll just, I'll just I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm excited, scared, or a combination of the two. But, I think the uh, combination of the two is, is, is the proper spot to be. <laughs> Fair enough. What's yeah. your wild card? You got one? Yeah, so on Friday, we didn't really have anything to do. I kind of had just like a free Friday in Alabama. And my dad wanted to take my cousin and his wife to kind of tour the campus and go to the bookstore. But, you know, I had done that, and I wasn't real interested. It was like a 78 degrees, and we had a like, little lake house there on Lake Tuscaloosa. So me and my buddy Scott decided to utilize the smoker, the meat smoker that they had there at the house. Nice. They had like a full chimney. It's like not one of these that's like you buy at Home Depot or whatever. Like this thing was like built into the ground. Um, for the specific purpose of smoking meat. And I had never actually smoked meat before in my whole life. I'd always wanted to. Uh, and so we smoked fish, and it was quite an experience. But uh, And it ended up coming out pretty good. It took forever. It took way longer than it was supposed to. It, mainly because, you know, the fire basically kept going out, and I didn't really know what I was mm-hmm. doing. But have you ever smoked meat? And just, like, what's your general feeling on on that on that whole scene um i have not is the short answer i'm very interested in it though i i I am uh i think as i've mentioned maybe it's at some point with with one of my goods over the summer like summer grilling uh having lived in an apartment in san francisco for almost nine years uh before moving up here i didn't have the ability to grill whenever i wanted so i've been grilling a lot and I haven't got into the smoking realm just yet, but I am just starting to kind of get my feet wet with different proteins and different cuts of meat and, sure. and things like that. So I definitely see a, a smoker in my future at some point, probably when Kim and I uh, buy a house and get a, a barbecue of our own, we'll probably get one that has some sort of smoking capability. I've heard wonderful things about the Traeger. I love a good smoked brisket, mm-hmm. uh, pulled pork, anything like that. I've not tried smoking fish. I've had smoked fish before. I've never tried smoking it. And I've never smoked meat on my own, but it's something that very much interests me. Yeah, it's definitely a great thing to get into. It takes a ton of time. Like, you really need 
a lot of time, and it's like anything else, like, you know, the, the more you do it, the better off you're going to get. Obviously, I've done it once. But, I mean, I was manning this this smoker, like, all day, like six hours. I mean, we were out there, like, six hours. We actually, the, the grocery store didn't have any firewood, so we foraged our own wood. You know, we, we kind of walked nice. around in the woods and got all our own wood. We did get some of those apple chips at the store, which were good. But it was uh-huh. tough, man. It was tough to, like, keep, you know, it, it was hard not to have it, like, a full flame, which you don't want, because then you're basically grilling, versus, like, no fire at all. And, you know, we had to keep had to keep relighting it over and over again. That got tedious. It really, what it did more than anything, it made me really respect these guys who were great, great meat smokers. You know, these great barbecue mm-hmm. restaurants. And, you know, I've always wondered why it's so difficult to have great smoked barbecue. You know, you find that a lot of parts of the country, California being one of them, a lot of these barbecue restaurants, the the meat really isn't that good. And I've always kind of wondered why. But I think I figured out why. It's just a hard, it's, it's an art. It really is. And it takes a lot of time. And to do it every day at a high level, I think it's really, really tough. And it, it made me really sort of appreciate and respect these great uh, barbecue pit masters more than I ever would. So I think that was the biggest thing that I took away from yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I, it is, it's a, it's a labor of love, and, and the people who are good at it, they really commit time to that craft. And I think there's a, a point where you can kind of get dialed in where even though it may take all day, you can kind of set it up, leave it, uh, and once you once you've honed your skills a little bit, but I've I've heard it is a challenge, but one I'd like to take on at some point. Yeah, I mean I think that these Traeger grills that you mentioned, the Traeger and the Big Green Egg, have taken it to mm-hmm. another level to where it's just a lot easier to do it in general. Uh, it doesn't take yeah. quite as much tending to because uh, just the material that they're using on the grill and the way it's constructed is far more efficient than doing it. Like I mean I was basically doing it in a fireplace for all intents and purposes. It was like a big fireplace with like a rack above where you burn the wood. So it was almost like too big. It, it was designed to cook, you know, like a tremendous hunk of pork or beef. Sure, and sure, I was just doing yeah. like a couple slabs of salmon. And I think that's why it took so long because the fire kept going out. Uh, so I think to do it on a trigger, a big green egg, it's going to come out great. But it's not the same as doing it like old school, like what you see in these southern For sure. barbecue restaurants where mm-hmm. they have a huge chimney and whatnot, and they're just feeding logs in there all day and all night. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you're right. Uh, these new school grills definitely make it a lot easier, a lot more efficient, and a lot more consistent. So I, you know, I don't think I'm too far. I'm once my boys get a little older and start eating a little more, I think I'm going to probably have to get myself one of those Traegers. So something to look forward to. But I think we've done enough, and I've got to go. You've got to go. Uh, good show on the books. A great college football weekend behind us. Uh, and two big games for our teams coming up this weekend. You got Oregon going to Washington State and the Tide rolling into Knoxville. Always one of my most anticipated sporting events of the year. Uh, so and always one of the- Oregon's toughest road tests going up to Martin Stadium in Pullman. So totally. uh, excited for both. Welcome back. Glad you had a great trip. Excited yeah. for more college football. Thanks, man. So we'll, we'll, we'll uh, look forward to it, to talking about those games next Monday. Um, and until then, I will uh, I will bid you adieu. Goodbye, Michael. Goodbye. Bye, Ryan. Bye, everybody. Talk to you later.